Welcome to episode three of the E-Special Needs Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Blanner. This week on our podcast, we have our guest, Mary Blanner. She's an early childhood special education reading specialist, and she also happens to be my mom. We're going to go over the importance of reading, how to read to your kids the best, and why they should keep reading. So stay tuned. So without further ado, we're going to talk about you. So give us a little background on your education and your experience. Uh, I've spent off and on about 25 years working as a special ed teacher in a variety of settings. I worked in early childhood special ed as the classroom teacher and as a facilitator for rec therapy class at the YMCA. I've tutored students one-on-one. I've taught religion classes with children of varying ability levels. And recently I returned to the early childhood setting, but I found myself working one-on-one again with the children who needed additional assistance. And currently I am a graduate student at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, studying for my reading specialist certification for grades. I think it's pre-K through 12th grade. Congratulations. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good job. And she taught me how to read. I did. So I am literate. Before kindergarten. <laughs> you were stubborn. I think mm-hmm. I remember just memorizing the words in the book. And then instead of actually reading it, I would just recite the memorized lines back to you. So you were under the impression that I could read, but I couldn't. Good working memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about... So why did you choose this career field exactly? Um, I started out in like art education and I thought that was really an interesting medium for working with children. And anytime I've seen children who just kind of seem on the outside of things looking in, I just feel the need to kind of do whatever I can to bring them in. And so when I started in art education, I couldn't really find a program um, that that was, this was back in the 1990s. So there wasn't really programs to pursue that very in the, in the area that I wanted to be. Um, so I studied special ed and um, You're doing great. I just wanted to help children, whether they have severe disabilities or whether they have mild to moderate learning disabilities in the areas of reading. Um, I've worked with children who are autistic, um, children who have had holoprosencephaly, children with autism, children who have Down syndrome. So a whole gamut. It's fine. I just feel called to interpret what I know to something they can understand and grow from. So tell us about why it's important for kids to to read. Uh, They read, when they read, they acquire more information about their world. They're more capable of navigating um, their experiences, and they feel more confident when they're in a situation um, socially or emotionally or something new. It gives them the strategies they need to proceed in life. And also, when it's from the early childhood level, there's different responses. The primary reason that children learn to read in that birth to five 
age range is that they appreciate just the time in another person's lap. That's so significant. So it's not necessarily the words and the pictures as much as it is the feel and the sensory input of being near someone's cheek or their face or sitting in another person's lap and turning the page. And it's all of those kind of pre-reading skills that really is embedded in a child from birth to five. So would you say it also gives them a better relationship with whomever is reading to them? Yes. Their person-to-person experiences and those socialization exchanges are impacted. Could you speak a bit more to that? Like there, it's in, influential in the growth of attachment. Mm-hmm. And so how often would you say <laughs> that parents should sit down and read with their kids? A minimum of about 15 minutes per day, which may sound like a lot, but if you think about when you're you know, just sitting and eating breakfast or wherever you can, find a spot. If your child's in the bathtub, read to them in the bathtub. If they're potty training, read to them while they're potty training. If you're making dinner and you're waiting for noodles to boil, read to them while you're waiting those 10 minutes for the noodles. Um, If there's a bigger push now to use a screen to read, which is also good, but it does take away from that person, the person contact and that attachment. So would you advise parents to like go to the library and pick out books for their kids or? I think it's important for you to go to the library. I think it's important for kids to go to the library. And I think it's important for the parents to offer suggestions. But I think when you give children the opportunity to choose the books themselves, they're more interested. If they see the cover, if you give um, maybe a short introduction about what the story is about, Obviously, in the younger ages, they can't read the titles. But as they get older, giving options. um, When I take my children, I just, to be honest, I look ahead and I find the books that are the most awarded or the most interesting, the ones that might be appealing to a subject area that I wanted to discuss with my child, maybe socially or academically or emotionally, or um, if there's a holiday of some sort coming up. Then I'll offer maybe three choices. What about this book? What about this book? And then I'll give them the opportunity to go through and find other books on their own, too. Yeah, because that encourages independence and self-reliance and probably some self-esteem with passing control to the reader. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Um, So when we talk about reading, um, how important is it to have a good foundation of reading for anyone of any ability, not just special needs, not just disabilities? How important is it to have that good foundation to bridge into reading and writing and learning. When you think about the children that I've worked with, I had mentioned early childhood special ed, holoprosencephaly, autism, Down syndrome, undiagnosed, um, Williams syndrome, fragile X. There's a lot of uh, ranges of students. When they can have that ability to draw from their working memory, just simply from the left to right progression, you're building those pathways in both hemispheres of their brain, um, as you would when you offer a toy at midline to an infant and they reach with one hand or the other. They're building those pathways. They're drawing, strengthening both hemispheres of their brain. And when it comes to a child with autism, I've worked with students before at the pre-K level, and they would use a book as a social script. So if, if you read the same book over and over, for example, and 
someone in Paw Patrol, um, for example, would be having an exchange with one of the pups and the boy said something specific and then that became their social script. So they may or may not be verbal. They may be at a level where receptive language is developing more quickly than expressive language. But by reading the same book, the repetition strengthens working memory. The words that they receive over and over become a script and they're able to at one point, translate that into their own experiences. I've seen that happen. That's really cool. I didn't know that was a thing. So you're saying that like people who individuals with autism who have difficulty communicating and difficulty um, relating to other people and relating to their environments will be benefited by literature because of the fact that they can understand um, social situations from books. It translates. Yes, it gives them the tools that they need once they're in that situation and then their caregiver or a parent can draw upon that and say off to the side quietly. Do you remember when Elmo was scared to go to the dentist, for example? Yeah. So it's like building narrative social stories. Correct. From reading. And that seems kind of like an inadvertent way to do that instead of just sitting down and looking at like emotions cards or. Emotions cards are good because it's a part to whole thought process and sort of an ABA way. But, um, Breaking it down into the simple structure of a book, one page at a time, the consistent repetition of a child likes Elmo or whoever. Um, it just helps them learn. <laughs> the repetition and the constant reading of the same book. As you know, a lot of times children with autism may perseverate on the same things. So if they have the same book that they're connected to, then they can go. Or Arthur. I've had another student who was really into Arthur books. Um, so transitioning from reading to writing, I know that you are in your practicum right now, or you were in your practicum last semester, and you had a, you're doing both right now? Practicum last semester and this semester. And this semester. Do you still have the same student? No. Okay. But I know last semester you had a student that, just as a case study, we don't have to mention whom this was, but I, I do remember that she had difficulty focusing and difficulty, um, reading lines. Uh, so can you speak to like what exactly you did to help her, um, with her reading and literacy? The first thing I did to help her focus was use a timer that I had actually gotten at a special needs and product placement, (laughs) (laughs) a multitude of timers because she would get bored with the same timer. She wanted a different timer. One timer was good for four minutes. One timer was good for one minute. And then at one point she wanted to keep the timer. So weren't they drop timers? Uh, they had these bubbles in them and yeah. you could turn them over almost like an egg timer. But um, anyway, so she really appreciated that. And it gave her, again, that level of control that she felt like she was in charge. She could look at that and feel like she could make the decision on how she spent her time um, in terms of writing, because that was her most difficult thing. What was the other part? Um, I was asking about how you helped her read lines. Oh, yes, she had difficulty um with that left to right progression, she would lose her spot and the text as you get older becomes closer together and the and the font size becomes smaller. So she was 10 years old and she had a difficult time. And so um, from East Special Needs, I was able to obtain this book mask and essentially it highlighted individual lines of text. And then she was able to improve her fluency and comprehension just by using that one tool. So did you ever help... Do you help children with writing abilities as well? 
writing is kind of the extension of the reading activity. And anytime you put something in a child's hand, then it becomes a sensory experience for them because not only are they reading it, following along with their finger underneath the words on a page, but they're engaging their hand and tactily and auditorily, they have to say out loud what they're thinking about writing. They're connecting their hand kinesthetically with their brain and they're putting multi-sensory effort into whatever it is they're putting on the page. And for some children, possibly with dyslexia or apraxia, that can be extremely difficult. So obviously you have to modify the instrument that you're using. It doesn't necessarily have to be writing. It could be something simple like magnetic letters or um, Velcro letters where they can manipulate the individual parts of a word themselves, but just making that connection from their hand to their brain to what's in front of them tactily is wonderful. That's really cool. Um, so let's talk about like first steps of the writing process for someone with a disability. So how do you transition them from reading to writing? It's kind of an innate um, characteristic. Children just want to put something on a piece of paper I'm sorry. Um, Sorry. (laughs) February. And so you will see children when they are younger, typically developing children will start to make pre-writing strokes onto a page. And you may see things that look like little hash marks or little scribbly specific fine motor characters that they believe to be letters. And so in a typically developing child, that's just something that becomes the next logical step from having read books, say, perhaps from birth, onto um, maybe by the age of about two and a half, you'll see them attempting to put a character on the page. And around the age of two and a half to three, a child will start being more specific and deliberate in their writing by making a face with specific eye placement and specific nose mouth, legs, hands, arms, not perfectly, but specific. And so when they begin to write, they're trying to make characters on a page. And then when it comes to children with special needs, that can be more difficult because of um, challenges with fine motor, um, as I said, apraxia, dyslexia. What they believe they're putting on the page may not actually be what they're putting on the page. So strengthening gross motor and ultimately fine-tuning it until it becomes fine motor um, through multiple activities that an occupational therapist would introduce. Cutting, clothespin pinching, all those little um, fine motor tactile experiences, tripod grasp. There's so many things that have to be in place for a child to be able to begin writing. Um, Painting, that's also good. Okay. So just fine motor activities that are that can be both sensory and practical. Pre-writing. Pre-writing. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into the eSpecial Needs podcast. For this episode, we want to give you a chance to pick up some of the things that Mary Blanner was talking about. We have the Sensory Liquids Drop Timer Set and Reading Focus Cards for you at a discount. 
Just use the code PODCAST10 when you get to the checkout specifically on those two items. Offer code is valid between April 25th and May 25th, so make sure you pick them up between that time. And happy reading! Let's talk about like when we get to the writing stage. So if an individual has special needs and they have difficulty writing, what what are the next steps? For example, um, I think the first thing the first thing that you can do is um, kind of model for a child the. The worst thing that could be done would be to expect them to have a piece of paper in front of them and immediately expect something on the paper. That's just too overwhelming, too defeating, too much. So by using a graphic organizer, for example, and just putting down what you want them to write, maybe using a whiteboard or a dry erase board or chalkboard, you know, anything that that could be more tolerated, Um, asking questions to build a sentence, that can be a very difficult thing for every child, not just a child with special needs. If you ask even a, a first grader, what do you see on the road? That's a very broad, very wide open question. And so initially you could organize write the words at the top of a chart or a paper road. And then underneath that, ask them, what do they see? Cars, street signs, lights, trees, um, people. So when they have that, then from there, you can help a child build sentences. You could have another section that said, um, let's say, um, what do you see on the road? (laughs) the sun. You could describe weather conditions. Just teaching kids to put things into categories. When you isolate it in that way, then they have something from which to build. And then you can model or demonstrate the articles of speech. The car is on the road. Doesn't seem like a very complex sentence, but writing that for a first grader, a typically developing first grader would be an extremely difficult skill to accomplish. So even by just using, like I said, even magnetic letters and manipulating those, putting those basic sight words that they've built an ability to recognize just by frequent introduction of books from the time they're, you know, six months at least, the car is on the road. They can recognize the, they could recognize car and then put those all together in a sequence after they've seen you demonstrate. And from there, they could learn to copy that. It's all very complex and very difficult. It is very complex. (laughs) These are things that I I don't know about personally and, like, obviously have undergone because you are my mom. You didn't teach me how to read. And when you're you're talking about a child with Down syndrome, it's so important to remember that so many of the children have um, hearing challenges. It's a very common trait. So... Working memory difficulties may contribute to speech and language delays um, that limit the amount a child can organize and say clearly in a sentence. So there's such a direct correlation between language and obviously the written word. And if, if there's an obstruction to receiving language, then first you have to address that. There's very many layers. And once they have the receptive language, then their own expressive language can usually launch. Yeah. Can we talk about receptive and expressive language really quick? Just so we can have a little description. 
expressive language is what a child is able to generate spontaneously. And an ex- receptive language would be re- what the child receives that they may not be able to articulate. So, for example, in a one-year-old, when they are thirsty, you would say, cup, do you want cup? The child's caregiver would offer that and provide the language and model that for the child. And then when the child is evolving an expressive language, they would say, be able to articulate, want cup. Usually two-word phrases. One word phrase, two word phrases, they all just build over time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and um, you can build on um, receptive language, obviously. This was one of your favorite things, Catherine, as a baby, was signing. And so when you're able to introduce signing to a child who has the ability to use their hands to work together, doesn't matter what age, um, it's an excellent way to bridge the gap between what they hear receptively and what they wish to express. Because if they aren't capable of expressive language. They are capable of a sign just in the same way that you would teach a child to sing wheels on the bus. You would always use the hand motions. And before they can sing the song wheels on the bus, they can roll their arms for the round and round part of the song. Same concept. That's cool. I didn't know that I had made You're very good at that. More was your favorite. (laughs) More? Which was that? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I do that. Eat more, I believe, was her favorite. (laughs) What are ways that the special education system can help children with learning disabilities uh, build their literacy abilities? <coughs> Over time, um, pediatricians have had a greater amount of coursework in which they've had to be introduced to age-appropriate expectancies for language and speech. And so they're usually the initial line of response um, if you feel like there's a concern they're consistently with the parent and the child or the caregiver and the child and they can recognize growth whether it's slower growth or accelerated growth they're able to establish an initial benchmark at 12 months based on the number of expressive words a child may have or may not have yet and from there If there's a concern or if a child is in the um, neonative intensive intensive care unit, it's a common practice that children's hearing is screened. So there's multiple lines of defense. If a child has Down syndrome and they're referred to first steps, they'll be screened early, early, early. But assessment is kind of the special education system help that's in place. And recently um, in Missouri... There was a Missouri Autism Rapid Response Initiative through the Missouri Department of Mental Health, and it's accessible to all Missouri residents. And autism is a lifelong developmental disability that appears during the first three years of life. And studies show that it can be diagnosed as early as 18 months. And the current autism prevalence rate in children is about 1 in 110. And the diagnosis of autism has increased more than tenfold in the last decade. So usually the person who is primarily with the child will recognize that there may be a lack of eye contact or uh, a lack of 
or, or regression of language that, you know, perhaps they had said mama and then at one point they won't say it. And so when people are able to recognize that, then they usually consult the pediatrician, the pediatrician makes a referral, um, and then they pursue it through there. And the other thing that is actually new this year is that there's legislation, it's Senate Bill 638, and it requires that the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education uh, has developed guidelines for the appropriate screening of students for dyslexia and related disorders to develop the necessary classroom support for such students. So this is required um, just this year, 2018 to 19 school year, and it's for all children entering kindergarten. So um, there's more heightened awareness of screening, and it's become mandated. I didn't know that. That's cool. It's grad school, I'm telling you. Let's talk about... Do you have a thing? Well, there was one thing that I wanted to mention that is about literacy in the new media age, and there's... um, an author who has recognized that the image is quickly replacing writing as the dominant form of meaning making and that the screen is becoming just important as the page. And I think that that's really um, important to mention because it's become so commonplace if you're in your car, if you're scrambling to get home from work or um, get children home from school just that crunch time between 5 and 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night is difficult for every everyone with children. And it's common to want to pass your tablet or an e-reader or anything that can occupy your child because obviously everyone has things to do. Cook food, do the laundry, get ready for the next day of work and school. Um And so there are many, many helps out there. There's um, even something I stumbled upon today, and it's through Scholastic. And it's, I'm not sure if you remember, like weekly readers where you could, it's it's a small, brief reading, but it's very condensed. And even weekly readers for children in, say, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade are now accessible to students. So point being, if you're going to resort to that because it happens. Everybody has to resort to passing that to their child. It's less preferred in birth to two. I know that I read something recently that said that the use of screens is up 200% compared to even a year ago when, when parents were surveyed. So that's disheartening because those person-to-person contact and the growth of attachment from reading is obviously decreased when you're putting a screen in someone's hand, but um, into your child's hand. But if you're going to put that into your child's hand, really the emphasis should be on uh, age-appropriate reading, very simple, something that's not as as comparable to a video or a DVD or a movie, but still is academic, regardless of your child's age. And even the repetition of, of a same story, again, can be so beneficial. So iPads are fine. As long as with they, discretion, okay, with discretion, as long as they use at least some form of education, because it is it is a really good resource for a lot of parents. Um, and so, giving them something that they like to have anyway, like kids like iPads, it's just kind of their eyes are just drawn to it, mm-hmm. their hands are just drawn to it, they know what to do. But giving them an iPad with something that's smart on it or something that like they can learn from. even just there's links on PBS and Scholastic. I love and me some PBS. Any. <laughs> Girl, you know this. <laughs> um, 
I would still I, watch I didn't write down websites, but, you know, there's just so many literacy websites, you know, that if you Googled your child's age and literacy or e-reading, obviously Amazon even has, you know, things you can download for free. The public library has e-books that you can download for free, and they're well within your child's age range. So there's so many options to consider. So, yeah, just be smarter about your smart devices. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Yes. Um, I try to make things succinct. So as kind of just like a wrap up, unless you have anything else you want to say right now. Um, Expose your child to print as often as you can, even if it means you're putting sticky notes on your cabinets that say the word C-A-B-I-N-E-T, F-R-I-D-G-E, fridge, D-E-S-K, desk, any exposure to print, simple print, your own handwritten print. That's excellent. As much as you can expose them to print is ideal. All right. So going forward, so let's just, let's say, what is your advice to a parent that has a child that has just been diagnosed with either like a learning delay, a disability? Um, What is your advice to them? I think it's important to just emphasize that they're still your child. And obviously what you can do with them, regardless of what, your school or or evaluator or assessor can provide you know your child better than anyone else and go with your gut because you've known them um, for longer than any of the people there. Um, there were two two people that I mentioned as as far in my mind as um, influential and there's one who's an educational philosopher and her name is Nell Noddings and she had this care philosophy and I think that's so important and she said she herself was the mother of 10 children and she's still living I think she's almost 90 and she believes that if you take time out of every day to just show the children that you care about them then their learning actually accelerates. I think that's just really important. Don't forget to care about them. Don't worry about achieving the benchmarks as much as caring for them because a lot of times um, they may not reach the benchmarks or they may reach the benchmarks at a different level of expectation than their IEP suggests um, or than the teachers are comfortable with, but they will still continue to succeed and thrive over time. We have this phrase here that's kind of, it says, be the turtle, where it's like, just go at your own pace, just keep forward is forward, just keep going. Um, so. Be the turtle, slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to speak to? Just as a final thought? Anything that I didn't cover? Just read to your child because it's fun and it's good attachment with them. And no matter what, I, I've seen people where um, there was a, now the person is in their 30s and, um, you know, just the sound of that voice, that consistent sound of your voice can have such an impact. And, and a lot of times you can't measure the impact. So the consistency of it is of great value, regardless of the results, measurable results. Children who are read to know that books are fun and provide entertainment. Children who are read to often have larger vocabularies, and they will know that the words on the page have meaning and tell the story. Exposure to print enhances children's interest in writing. Children's recognition of left-to-right progression during reading similarly influences writing. 
The ability to read and write facilitates easier access to general knowledge and supports skills necessary for problem solving and thinking strategies. Reading provides opportunities to practice saying sentences a child is unable to generate spontaneously in their expressive language, though they may understand it through their receptive language. To recognize that a child has internalized a new skill or internalized an element of knowledge translates uh, into information that's understandable and has understandable elements. By working one-on-one with children using the most foundational system of acquiring information, books, my hope is to strengthen interest and enthusiasm for reading regardless of student abilities. At a young age, consistent repetition of familiar texts can provide for children a social script of sorts, enhancing preschool age children's social interactions. Thank you, Mary Blanner, for coming on the E-Special Needs Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for bringing your wealth of knowledge, your information, and your experience. I'm sure our listeners really appreciate everything that you've had to say today, and there's been a lot of really like, good stuff that you've given me, even, just that I've learned sitting down with you. So I appreciate that you took your time out of your busy schedule. Um, she has eight kids. <laughs> Thanks for all your hard work for children with special needs. Never overlook. listening to episode three of the e-special needs podcast and a big thank you to mary blanner for giving us all those important tips and tricks and now some legal disclaimers the opinions and viewpoints expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions and viewpoints of e-special needs the organization in addition the tips and advice that is expressed in this podcast might not work for everyone it might work for some but might not work for all always consult a pediatrician, occupational therapist, or teacher before you do any of these ideas. Don't forget, you're doing great things and we'll see you in two weeks.